One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Charlie is trying to come forward with this one again. Murray switches direction. Here comes Carney. Takes it up on himself. He's touched it down. Rob Carney called for the ball. He's buried the Frenchman. Ball and all. Carney with a try for Ireland. We wanted the leaders to step forward. Rob Carney has stepped up to the plate. The French fella was battered out of the way. Carney has got the try. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen here with Murph and fresh off the plane from Warsaw, Ken. Hi, Owen, how are you? I'm good. I don't like the sound of your downbeat nature after what you experienced there. So I'm going to leave you out of this for the time being. <laughs> uh, my producer is telling me not to talk to you anymore. Uh, yeah, well, let's talk Ireland France first. You've just heard Michael Corcoran call, calling it brilliantly there for Radio 1. Rob Carney swatting aside a, an unnamed Frenchman who turned out to be Freddie Michelac. Maybe not too surprisingly there. Half time, three points in it. Keith Earls had messed up our one big try chance. Sexton gone. Paul O'Connell receiving oxygen on the pitch. A quarterfinal against the All Blacks with two days less staring, uh, two days less rest staring Ireland. Uh, should they in, in the face? Should they lose this game? And then they go on and win the second half by fifteen points to three. I enjoyed that game. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty yeah, darn impressive, I must say. Um, and I'm sure uh, we will talk about this quite a bit. But uh, there is uh, the just the, the physical nature of the game oh, yeah. made it ridiculously enjoyable to watch uh, and this is the central um, uh, quandary facing rugby is that the more bloody and violent the game is the more people enjoy it but also the more players get injured and you know get car- carted off the field uh, in various stages of distress I mean that's that's the issue what we have ahead of us uh, or what we were looking at yesterday the second half was just the most extraordinary performance by an Irish team. It's also, it's Ireland's smarts within that. You know, they, they brought all that intensity, they took their, their, their hits, their bodies went off, and the guys who come in just play to the game plan and dominate. They, we, well, not, not just take the hits, we dominated France physically as the match went on. Last few scrums, I mean, the last couple of minutes there was a scrum maybe right at the end, and our subs are all on this stage and they just empty the French. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think... Being that aggressive at all moments and then being really calm and thinking out a game plan. I mean, the backs maybe have to do a little bit more that the, the fours just need to get stuck in. But the backs are involved in a lot of rooks, like using every ounce of aggression that you have. And then the very next second having to be clear headed, whether it's Ian Madigan taking a penalty, whether it's Robbie Henshaw stepping outside, somebody deciding whether to offload or not. Oh, I think that's Henshaw. what makes yeah, Henshaw was so good. <laughs> I think that's what made it so gripping. And as well, um, the TV footage, they kept going to the crowd and panning around the crowd. They looked shots. incredible Unbelievable there. Unbelievable shots, yeah. Just, you really got a sense of the two feeding into each other, the performance of the players, and the fans just getting more and more excited. They almost couldn't believe what they were seeing in front of them. It felt unsustainable. Like, in the first 20 minutes, you're going, the French were wrecked after 20 minutes. And we were thinking, maybe they're not quite as fit as they said they were going to be. And you go, well, this isn't going to last 80 minutes. And then Ireland did last 80 minutes. France maybe lasted 60, 65 minutes. But it was, 
it just seemed incredible. It's funny the way you talk about that symbiotic relationship between the supporters and the players. Ian Madigan, afterwards, everyone has seen these shots a million times by now, but the emotion on his face, and he's obviously picking somebody out in the crowd, which isn't probably helping him keep a level <laughs> emotional base there. Yeah. He's seen, I don't know, whoever it might be, some loved one, somebody close to him. So he's picked them out and he's already completely mainlining. I felt with that you could really picture in your head all the conversations Madigan's had with friends and family and people close to him about maybe articles doubting him or yeah. just, you know, where his career has gone. It's gone forwards, it's gone backwards. He's been shuffled around back lines. He's been dropped at Leinster. You know, he dropped behind Paddy Jackson with Ireland for, for a few months as well. And then suddenly he comes on in his biggest game ever and plays really, really well. And really well still I, I with the I think he felt like the, all these conversations yeah. we've had, this is it. Like I've proven something to myself here. Played really well still with the, I don't even know if caveat is the right word. But with Ian Madigan, you're, you're still never 100% sure at yeah. certain moments. He's just... He still made errors. He still makes the, makes the odd error. And so Sexton made one or two errors as well when he was on. So I'm sure any out half is going to. But uh, because Madigan... Has made so many in the past, you think, well, that's going to yeah. lead to more. And, 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 and you maybe don't, that, yeah, maybe you, that's unfair. You didn't he, trust him yeah, before. He doesn't. Yes, I mean, it's quite clear that he, he's never been trusted to control a game in the same way that Sexton has. And he's a different sort of a player. But that makes it almost more exciting. And also the, the French, I don't know if the French had ever even heard of Ian Madigan. <laughs> All they were talking about was Sexton. I think, uh, yeah. I think uh, a point to make with Madigan as well is that whatever about uh, with Leinster, where you are where he has in the past still been so if right if you're playing at half that means you have to win the game you have to control the game with Ireland he has Conor Murray now who is you know like, we may have expressed some uh, dissatisfaction with his performance against Italy like he was brilliant yesterday and if if Madigan has Murray there beside him then maybe maybe what you're looking for Madigan then is something different to what you would get from Sexton that you've got like these two generals effectively Sexton and Murray with Madigan, it's like, right, Murray will dictate the game. Madigan, you you go do what you do best. And I think that that might free him up maybe if we do need him against Argentina and maybe even further on, that that there's that there's a, a safety net there with him that isn't there with Leinster that we've seen yeah. from his performances out half. The emotion was apparently flowing even before the game. Ken, I was only joking about not getting you involved here, by the way. Sorry to leave you uh, sitting yeah. over there. What do you think of Chris Henry, his comments after the game? He was asked about O'Connell and the injury and the emotion around that, and he was talk- he focused more on the pre-match uh, speech that O'Connell gave, which apparently had everybody in floods of tears. Really? This sounds like exactly the kind Stop of story... Stop making us cry, Paul. Paul, for, for two seconds. You, you always hear when Munster lost their, was their first Heineken Cup final, there was yeah. this seminal meeting that apparently they they all started crying it was too much you know they all they wasted all their energy in crying before the game and they weren't at the right pitch when a team loses the, that big pre-match cryathon becomes <laughs> this reason that you lost the game but when you win a massive game it's of course we won we were all bawling we, crying in the dressing room we walked out of that room and we knew there was no badness uh, next day well, you'd absolutely the night before. see every single Munster player saying that if they had you know happened to win the game the following day. But th- there's one thing crying the night before, but this is just before the game. Yeah, I'd be dubious as to... I mean, I, I'm putting... I'm, I'm saying floods of tears. He said he had... every. He, st- he did say he had everyone in tears. Now, I'd be quite dubious uh, that everybody was crying at Paul O'Connor's speech. But you got the point. He was ratcheting him up to a fairly high emotional pitch. What about um, the footballers again? What happened? Take us down now. We're going to go back up shortly by talking to Shane Horgan. Take us down. Um... Well, I mean, I was I watched the rugby match in Warsaw. Oh yeah, in the stadium or in the stadium? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on Good a, atmosphere. I mean, as in, were the, all the Irish journalists getting pretty into it? Are we on your own? Uh, it was kind of weird because all, our streams were all at different times. So, um, so <laughs> there'd, there'd be like a you know, Carney scored a try or whatever. It's like, oh, there's a try there, and people, what? Well, Ireland scored a try, and then oh, hang on, oh, my stream hasn't got to that, and then it would kind of that. You know. that, that takes does, away a bit of the joy. It does kind of take a bit of the spontaneity out of the whole And affair. the pop-up ads as well. The <laughs> pop-up ads take away a little bit of the joy. And it seemed like a nasty little game, that game, that France. I mean, what, is, what has happened to those French guys? In terms of? Why, is, why have they become such a mean, dull little outfit? That's the question that everybody in France is asking at the moment, Ken. And world rugby, Ken. Uh, what, what are we to do? With the French patient, that's the question. They're just a bunch of boneheads now. Yep. And when boneheads, uh, when well, when buddies get bullied, they're they don't they, like it. They, they don't like it. They really no. don't like it. Nobody likes getting bullied, but especially buddies. Yeah, that's true. And it was it was it was great. So we all, we obviously then thought, oh, you know, uh, Ireland will now uh, wipe oh. the floor with Poland. 
and uh, complete a happy day. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't like that. I don't. Uh, Poland are a much better team than Ireland. Uh, we did pretty well to get a to get away with a two one <laughs> to get away with a two one defeat that consigns us to the playoffs. Are they a much better team, or did they just handle the occasion in a much more composed nah, they're manner? They're much better. I mean, Lewandowski alone makes them. Much but we better. just beat the world champions on Thursday night. I know. I would have said that Poland. Poland beat them Poland as well, did, by the way. Yeah, Poland did not handle the occasion well at all. Actually, what I saw from Poland for the last fifty minutes was basically what I've seen from Ireland over the last twenty years when we were desperately defending a one goal lead. Yeah. Uh, they just kept giving the ball away. Uh, they kept retreating further and further and further into their penalty box. And it was actually that more so than any brilliant Irish play that led me to think, you know, again, quite a few hours into the Super Sunday that this was going to end up in a like ridiculous two-all draw that would take us through. I mean, I, there I wasn't thought a- that as well. I, I really did think that in the second half. Um, although it, it kind of... I mean, I was thinking with half an hour to go, aren't they in a good position here? We need one goal. They are getting really nervous now. And you could kind of hear it in the... Could say, you, yeah. you know, you could... You could well, like, they showed a lot of footage of people praying. Really? Yeah, just gibbering to themselves. <laughs> well, Not they, necessarily praying. Well, they had their hands together the and they were looking up towards the sky and they were... All right, okay. ...muttering. The, My, <laughs> I stand corrected, sorry. But all we did was just um, try and play long balls in towards Robbie Keane, who was up against his a couple of six-foot-three-inch monsters... And that didn't work. Uh, and I was kind of looking at the clock and I was like, this time is going by very fast now. Are we going to try something different? And the answer was, no, uh, we're not. We're, we, well, we did. We had Aidan McGeady. McGeady's. Dan stepping down the wing and whipping one into Richard Keogh. That was the one good chance we really created. And unfortunately, Keogh couldn't score it. So, yeah, I mean, they. I think that if, if Robert Lewandowski played for Ireland, we would have qualified for the Euros and Poland would have probably finished behind Scotland. But uh, luckily for Poland, he plays for them. Uh, he might be the best player in the European Championships. And, you know, uh, it's, it's with good reason, I think, that, that uh, his team is the one that qualifies and not our one. We're going to get the latest from the Irish squad, the rugby squad that is with Jerry Thornley in a little bit. I'm sure you'd like to hear some reaction from France. I've often found that French journalists don't spare their team in situations like this. So we'll find out what the keeps Richard Esco has to say. First up with Shane Horgan. Shane, the latest from the campus of Peter Mahoney is definitely ruled out. Paul O'Connell, we're just waiting for the formalities really to be finalised in that one. I mean, we're, we're assuming Paul O'Connell has gone with his hamstring. Johnny Sexton, the news is a little better there as we speak. The joy of the occasion seems to have been punctured a little bit today and even uh, shortly after the end of the game by the reality of all these injuries. Are you still feeling pretty good about yesterday? Yeah, I think it's important that we do really enjoy it as well for, uh, you know, what an incredible day it was, performance, but also atmosphere. I don't think um, many people have seen an atmosphere like that. I think we contributed brilliantly to the World Cup. And um, I think we've probably may also maybe shone a light on what's going on in French rugby and actually how serious it is. I think we've all been, over the last number of years, we've all said there's issues going on with French rugby and it's not, you know, it's not right. But... I think what we saw, we were, we were all waiting for this big performance, this one-off performance um, in the World Cup. And it just goes to show if you're not doing the right things in the lead up to the World Cup and you have you know, major issues, then uh, they're, they're not going to be changed just because you're in the World Cup. And that was the case. Ireland much better in many, many um, aspects of the game and thoroughly deserve their win. You mentioned the atmosphere there, Shane. Do, does that, did that make a difference? Does that actually permeate to what's going on in the field? You know, it, you know they're... They work across each other because if the you know if the performance isn't right on the field, then it's very hard to have the right sort of atmosphere off it and it can ebb away. Listen, everybody who's in that stadium with a green jersey on wanted to create the right type of environment for uh, for the Irish team to play. But that said, like it was symbiotic as well. The Irish team, you know, whether they reacted to it or they were going to come out and play that way, and then the the fans reacted to their performance. It just became all encompassing, and um, they worked together so well. And I, you know, when that sort of atmosphere is there, it's it's difficult to say that it doesn't you know it doesn't affect players. It doesn't increase the intensity. Listen, French players were playing with an intensity as well, especially back row du Sautoir. But um, I think Ireland, what Ireland were doing. 
um, the intensity they played with. I mean, the French couldn't match, but also they were just much smarter in the way they played. Their clean out was exceptional. But we saw, I think we saw a distinct change in game plan in the second half from the first half, where the first we saw lotted down the short side um, and or a lot of um, contact around the rook area. And the second half, when France retiring, when they couldn't keep up the intensity, uh, we saw players putting on a lot more footwork, going a little bit wider. And it was almost textbook performance uh, straight off the training park from Ireland. Shane, maybe not the best performance ever from Ireland, but arguably the best squad performance ever. I think you know, it's, it's, you know, you don't you say it's not the best performance ever, but remember this is a World Cup against France, um, and there's a huge, huge stakes at play, and so you got to think of you know what was a really what was really really good. Like um, rooking was just as good as we've ever done it. It was just as good as we ever got. It. Yeah, there was some balls on on the ground. Yeah, there wasn't as many line busts as we have. Our tackling was phenomenal. I thought though. So there was aspects of of you know Irish play that were as good as you know as good as we've seen Ireland play ever play. Um, but there's also you know other elements that uh, can be improved, which which is exciting. Do you know what it really hammered home? I thought Jane was that Ireland aren't a team unless their synapses are firing and they're they're living off their reflexes and everything is down to milliseconds and and that comes down to a lot of it comes down to our rooking essentially. But you know what? Judging them on Italy games or warm up games, we're just so different when it's really important. It, this is in the last few years I'm talking about. Yeah, I think there's there's something in that. There's also a concern in that. Also, um, not so much that when it means everything uh, but when we have that kind of level of intensity in our performance because sometimes it has been a hugely important game and you know we haven't reacted in the way that we should have Um, now less so in the last two years it has to be said but um, I do think that we are a team that you know when we do fire we're so so much better than when we're like 5% or 10% off, which sounds crazy. Uh, but it's it's the case. When we're not quite there, we seem to be you know, really find it difficult to get momentum, to get um, tempo into the game, and uh, to get the you know the fluidity that we've seen in a lot of the Ireland's best performances. And I thought, you know, Conor Murray in particular, the tempo of his game um, yesterday was, was really increased, so much more increased from what we saw against uh, Italy. So much to, to so much to such a degree that you, you, you know you wonder what was going on um, in the in the previous game. And is it just a psychological thing, or um, well, you know, were there other factors in play? Funny, Shane, I was going to bring up uh, Conor Murray there in a slightly different context. Just the leadership that he showed, because this is something that we've talked about. Uh, there, it, when you think about it, it's a nightmare scenario leadership-wise for O'Connell and. Sexton to be gone and even Peter Armani then uh, a little bit later on and I know we could pick out a number of different players who who took things on uh, Ian Henderson one of the younger members of the squad leads as, as much as anyone probably by what he actually does Connor Murray's another one uh, it was amazing how how all these guys stepped up it, there was there was there could it could it looked like we had all our captains all our team leaders out there when actually we were short of our two main ones yeah we do and listen I think Paul O'Connell holds a special place I think Johnny Sexton probably does as well. But actually, if you look around the field, there's so many guys who are leaders and so many guys who want to get touches and contribute to the game. There's not very many passive players on that on the field, and there certainly isn't certainly isn't um, in the key areas. If you look at people who, you know, the key areas are are like right down the spine of the team. You look at Rob Carney. You know, he's a hugely uh, influential, uh, massively capped, decorated f- 15. We've got at uh, 10, Connor uh, Murray, who's Captain Munster, who's like a fulcrum for a lot of the stuff that Ireland do. You've got also in the, in the second row, uh, you're right, Henderson came in, a young lad who's had a lot thrown on his shoulders, but he was straight away, he was into a sort of a, a role where he's taking on a lot of ball and getting a lot of touches. And, and there's a leadership in that as well, not just you know, talking to guys and telling them what they should do, but actually just doing it yourself. And that's for me is always the most important role um, that you could have uh, as a, you know as a leader in a team. And then I think the other one that was hugely impressive yesterday was um, 
best at, at at hooker like the amount of ball that he slowed up he always does but he's really smart in his carries not a big guy he always puts a bit of footwork on and gets a gets a you know a soft shoulder things to make things easier for the clean out uh, coming through so i think yeah it's it's really difficult to assess how important you know losing the some of the leaders that you mentioned are but um there's a lot of guys that aren't aren't passive and even even Manigan, i know he came in. It was an, it was almost you know when he came in the, the the everything was rolling already. Although there was a huge amount of pressure to perform, and he you know he stepped up with a really you know mature game, really mature game, and I think you could see by his emotions at the end of the whistle that like the pressure that he's under. Mm-hmm. That's a huge role to step in and try and um, take on that mantle that uh, Johnny Sexton has. But uh, he, he you know he led as well. Was that a stress release thing? Do you think Shane with Madigan? Yeah, that's what it just looked like that for me. It just looked a pure outpouring of, you know, stress, emotion to go, I've done this, I've got this over the line, and nobody's going to say that, you know, I, I didn't step up. It's not like he didn't come in with five minutes to go or ten minutes to go. Uh, he didn't come in when the game is over and it's, you know, it's the rock and roll stuff that he's so good at and, he, you know, he throws the ball around and he looks great. What he did was he came in in a really tight situation in a pressure environment uh, for one of the best players when we players also were dropping like flies, first-line players, or we would assume a first-line player is dropping like flies, and he controlled the game the way his coach would have wanted him to do it and um, had a really mature display that wasn't about sort of gimmicky stuff that looks flash on a highlights reel, but actually was really important to, um, to the team. Possibly prove something to himself as well, Madigan, because there's so many doubters. Uh, like, he really hasn't... As you say, he's closed out games, but that's the biggest international game of his career. Oh, by a mile, by a mile. And I think he did prove something, you know, to himself. I think he proves he proves something to me, not that he cares. I'm sure he proved to, to other people in um, that have been watching him for a while. Uh, did he have the capacity and the, the control to, to play the game that he played at the weekend? And you got to go, hats off, buddy. You know, you really did. And... Um, I know it's 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 not quite the same as going out to start a game and everything that that entails, but it is a different pressure and and not not to say uh, you know potentially any less of a pressure, and uh, you know who knows it looks like we we may need him uh, later in the tournament. Yeah, uh, it certainly does, and it was interesting watching Joe Schmidt afterwards. Uh, we, we would have been watching the TV three coverage over here, Shane, and he looked extremely somber in his interview. He was already counting the bodies. Really, it was a bit of an insight into Joe. I guess this this is a man who wasn't thinking about qualifying, just qualifying for a quarterfinal. He's thinking, he's probably thinking about how do I win this tournament? That's that's probably what's in his head from quite a long way back. And losing so many bodies wasn't part of the uh, the equation. Well, listen, I think that mindset is really with a lot of the players in that squad. I really believe it. A lot of them think, you know, try and tell me that uh, Johnny Sexton didn't think that they could win a World Cup or Paul O'Connell or Peter O'Mahony or a Rory Best. Tell me any of those guys who've had such success over the years um, would be willing to go, we're fine with just getting out of our group and maybe getting out of our play, group in first place. I just don't think that's the mindset they have. And so from that perspective there has to be a bit of disappointment about the injury profile um that the team now goes into the quarterfinal with but at the same time um you know that an injury profile like that is unfortunately increasingly becoming uh, the norm and i think if you're looking at the biggest high intensity games of rugby our people unfortunately are having this level of injury and to be honest with you I don't know how sustainable it is to continue like this um, oh, it, was, yeah, it was brutal Shane yes it was really I mean we were talk, talking about this it was <laughs> yeah, a lot of the way rugby is marketed obviously it is. it does focus on a lot of these big hits and this gladiatorial combat but that's what it looked like it was Roman time stuff it is and listen it's why we love it as well and this is you know this is an issue because the reason that that was so gladiatorial and you know it looked so amazing yesterday was because of the physical intensity and the commitment of those players and but there's a consequence to that as well that there is a physical um, consequence to that for players there's a, there's a physical price to pay and unfortunately Ireland paid um, a heavy one yesterday um, because of what they were willing to do. It's the reason we love watching it as well, but how sustainable it is 
um, as a sport, maybe it's lucky that there's only World Cups once every four years. And uh, unfortunately, yes, the Six Nations is, you know, it is getting to that level, but it's not the same. It's just not the same because when you have the stress, and you saw, you know, to hark back to Madigan, you saw that you've the stress of this only happening every once every four years and being able to perform every once every four years. You can see um, what it means to people. And we've seen Irish teams, and I've been in Irish teams in the past, that have failed to deal with that pressure. And it's been embarrassing and it's really nice to be able to you know, view the opposite um, today. Just lastly, Shane, um, we know all about Argentina and World Cup history, but I, I'm still seeing this uh, idea going around an, an arm wrestle against Argentina. I mean, it looks like they're in this tournament a lot more skillful and a lot more mobile than they have been, and certainly the, the, a lot more skillful and mobile than the French team looked yesterday. Uh, your early assessment this early in the week of our chances against Argentina? Listen, there's no comparison between um, this Argentina team and, and the French team. You know, French team, yes, are physical. They're they're brutal, and they were more rested. And they, but they still didn't deliver the sort of physical game that we thought we could. Uh, and they're behind the eight ball when it comes to tactics and skill level. Meta ball on the ground was incredible yesterday from French backline. Um, the Argentinians are much better. They're just a much better player players. Um, they're they're more physical. Uh, they've been playing with red hot intensity of um, their quad nations. Um, they have uh, two wingers that are ex- extremely quick. Um, they've got a centre pairing who can move the ball, unlike the French uh, pairing. And you've got a forward pack that are, you know, as physical as the French. It's going to be, you know, hugely difficult. I think that, you know, the injuries will be will cause Ireland a problem because they'll take out not so much the people who will come in because I'm actually really not stressed about the people who will come in um, for the first liners, but actually getting somebody who hasn't played that much yet in the World Cup or possibly not at all onto the bench and expecting them to come on and compete I think that may be a difficulty so let's see who we've got so let's see if Sexton's back up on his feet um, let's see you know, what happens with Sean O'Brien and then we can make a fuller assessment but I can promise you it's going to be much more difficult than it was against France Shane, brilliant thanks a million thanks a million to get into based on what Shane was talking about there backing up your point Murph about the physicality of the rugby that's being played at the moment and how that's what that, that's what makes it so compelling and equally that's what might need to be addressed in some way how you can somehow bottle that and keep an element of that while making it a little bit safer for the players who are now getting injured um, really badly quite often I mean Wales we didn't have to even mention Wales yet today Simon they suffered one or two other knocks there um, at the weekend. It does feel unsustainable at times watching that. Well, Well, Wales and Australia on Saturday and Ireland and France on Sunday was two of the most brutal games. I mean, amazing. Like, Wales-Australia on Saturday was ridiculous entertainment. Like, just crazy, crazy, crazy uh, levels of uh, dedication, bravery, all the rest shown by Australia to win that game. And then to see Ireland nearly match it on Sunday... 
it's well I mean it's it, it's what makes rugby such a good sport to watch and, yeah. and there's no arguing it's, it's it. to the point where well I certainly am watching at times and wondering how are the players prepared to actually put their bodies through this yeah I mean the consequences to block out the consequences of what you're doing repeatedly over and over and I think World Cups are a really good barometer for where the sport is at because it's when everybody's at their fittest there's um, just on that I I, you, I I do get that sense from time to time particularly the weekend these are normal guys you know they're yeah. people's friends and brothers and girlfriends and boyfriends and all the rest of it and they you, it's actually staggering that they can that they have that level of bravery, you know. And it's it's it, 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 I suppose that's part of the massive appeal. But we could get bogged down, I guess. And also then to block out when say O'Connell is screaming in agony or O'Mahony. Yeah, like this is never going to happen to me. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, Paul, you see Rob Carney in this post match interview, looking not a piece of hair um, mm. misplaced in his head. Just oh, he, he was ready to do an interview for an investment bank. He looked <laughs> perfect. He had a slight scuff <laughs> on the side of his cheek, yeah. no sweat, hair immaculate. He yeah, brilliant. I actually. just can't believe that two of our teammates have suffered <clears throat> one in a million type in, uh, injuries. I mean, what are the chances? Well, that's us definitely done for the entire tournament. Uh, there's definitely no way any of the rest of our teammates are well, going to get injured. Well, on that, you do think it should level out a little bit. I mean, Argentina, I don't think I've had any major injuries yet. And just kind of feel Wales had a few and maybe it should stabilise now, but maybe it doesn't work out that Argentina way. Argentina had virtually no chance of getting injured any of the players injured the weekend. It was a bizarre game against Namibia. And this is... Maybe a plus point, you can see it as a negative, but if you want to look on the bright side, they haven't had a proper competitive game. Tonga, I suppose, but other than that, since the New Zealand match, which seems an age ago at this stage, I mean, there was a Namibian prop taking the final conversion attempt in that game. It was a total joke. It was it was all very entertaining in certain ways, but actually it was just a bit ridiculous, to be honest. It was offloads that they won't try in a million years against us. They do look incredibly threatening with ball in hand, way more so than they ever have at previous World Cups. And Shane certainly sounds like he thinks that they're far superior to the French team. So we'll uh, be previewing that all week, I guess. But Jerry Thorny is ready to talk to us about the mood in the camp. Jerry, you're at the press conference today. Uh, how was everybody? Well, it was Mick Carney and Rob Carney um, presented to the team manager and the fullback presented to the media. Um, it was quite an early morning start. Back out in the Celtic Manor. I don't know what they're doing out there. They came into Cardiff City on Saturday night and then back to the Celtic Manor last night and back into Cardiff City today for whatever reason, whatever the logistics of this tournament or schedule is. So they were out back out in the Celtic Manor and, um, yeah, I think there was a, it, was a, it was a mixed mood, you know what I mean, that they, there was real disappointment in losing Peter Armani and almost certainly losing Paul O'Connell as well and made concern about Johnny Sexton and concern too that there might be a sighting against Sean O'Brien. So... There was great satisfaction um, and fun to be had about the looking back on the win. Um, Rob Carney was, you know, we talked about the crowd and what a sensational occasion it was. And apparently, uh, the, you know, Paul O'Connell was there this morning for breakfast. So was Peter Manning. So they were, were goodbyes. So it was kind of a, a poignant, bittersweet I kind of mo- Monday morning follow up. Um, the, the toll has been quite high. Yeah, it really has. And Peter Manning. Um we all know about Paul O'Connor. Peter Manning was playing so well in that game. It was, it was, always, it was unbelievable the players who were getting injured. It's, you take away our two biggest leaders, then you take away the guy who's stepped up and is playing probably the, the, out of his skin, playing as well as anybody there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to see Johnny Sexton go off for 25 minutes um, and then meeting Madigan come on and then to see Paul O'Connell go off at halftime in a stretcher. And it was horrible. I don't know how long the cameras lingered on it, but he was down on the pitch for quite some time, needed some oxygen, tried to stand up, you know, the warrior spirit that's in him, to leave the pitch and couldn't and was taken off in a mobile stretcher to huge roars from the crowd, obviously. And he managed one farewell wave. There was no way for his magnificent test career to end. Ireland's greatest ever forward. And they were two hammer blows. You just couldn't have handpicked two more influential players. Ireland's two most important players. And you're right, I actually thought in that first half, when the going was toughest, yeah. Peter Armani got going. He was the man there on the game line. He was making yards, seeking soft shoulders, carrying well, using footwork, clearing out rocks, counter-rucking, good in the line out. I mean, he was just, he was everywhere. And uh, I thought he was the one, he actually, more than even O'Connell in that first half, when it was tough, in that first quarter in particular, he was the warrior in the front line, if you like. And then to lose him, like a second monster captain, phew, uh, for... For the team to come through, must give them great belief in the squad, and it's very much a testament to the work that Joe Schmidt and the coaches and the leaders do in the squad. That they showed such mental strength and such seamless replacements. In and you had young players like Ian Henderson and Ian Madigan and Robbie Henshaw in that second half, all rising to the occasion and leading Ireland to that win. It was uh, it was one of the great one-off wins. I mean, I, I think in 
given the, the adversity they went through, allowing for how blunt an instrument France were and their disgrace to the, the French heritage and rugby, it was still a remarkable way for them to pull through. And and, and it just showed that there is much more strength and depth than we have to re- realise and we're not actually as dependent. But of course, now you've got to move on and play Argentina seven days later. And without these key players, it's going to be very difficult. Jerry, we know that Joe Schmidt now relies on Paul O'Connor an awful lot for motivation and for mental preparation for the team. He's almost like a an interim coach. Um, do, should he stick around? Does he stick around? What are the, what's the protocol there? I'd say it's unlikely. He's been through this before. I think he have to go home to have the. He's going home to have the uh, the extent of the hamstring uh, scanned and see how bad it is. But it sounds very bad if, if the rumours are true. And I'd say I wouldn't think he'd be coming back over then. I don't know. I'd be surprised if he did. Um, he's been through this once before with the Lions, hasn't he? When he was injured after the first test and hung around at Warren Gatlin's request, which shows you the presence of the man. But um, I think by the end of that, Paul himself wasn't so sure that he should have done that. And I'd say he'd be less inclined to do so now. But I don't know. I know. I think I'm pretty certain he's going home today anyway. And with Peter Armani gone as well, that means they've got to call up replacements. And I would imagine... If there's also doubt about Sean O'Brien, the show goes on. That's just the nature of the beast. And um, new players will come aboard. I would imagine Dan Tui would be one of them. And I would be very surprised if Reese Ruddock is one of them. Reese Ruddock has played. I think anybody who played under Joe before and has been involved in the system before and has proven his adaptability in the morning of that South African game when Chris Henry went downhill and Reese Ruddock played at number seven on a blinder against the box. I would imagine that Ruddock, because, because of the, the carnage in the back row now and potentially losing Sean O'Brien as well, that Ruddock would definitely be coming out. Jerry, what's the feeling about Sean O'Brien's potential sighting, potential ban? I have to say, it looked pretty. I mean, it looked significant enough uh, to merit a ban. Now, how long that ban is? I think you've made the point that it's not really fair to ban someone for three games or something like that when you're in the middle of a World Cup. But certainly, it was seemed so blatant that a one-match ban looks fairly logical to me. Now, the only hope is, or one of the the bits of hope is that David Pocock got away with what appeared to be a fairly blatant knee into the uh, the well shucker there at the weekend. So maybe there's a bit of leniency from citing commissioners. What, what, what way the, is the wind blowing there, do you think? Well, they're worried. You can sense they're worried. They're concerned that this is going to happen and that, got, that there is going to be a sight and he might get, well get a one-week ban. The only thing I would say is... Um, he was being held off the ball. I'm supposed to be a little bit biased about this. I don't want to see Sean O'Brien miss out in the World Cup quarterfinal for Ireland. And it was a punch in the stomach, okay? It, it it was violent play of a sort for sure. But would it have been a red card if Nigel Owens had spotted at the time? I don't believe it would have been. I think it would have been a yellow card, don't you? Did that merit a ban then? Certainly, I don't think you're comparing like with like when in the context of a World Cup knockout phase, you know, it's not the Magnus League. It's not a Pro 12 match. It's it's a World Cup quarterfinal. So I would say the likelihood is, yes, you're probably right. He'll probably get a one-game ban. Yeah, the fine detail of it is Joe is saying it wasn't a closed fist. The fact that he sort of faced up to him, he was being held, and it wasn't to the face. Um, it could be maybe construed as a bit of a, an aggressive slap. There is Basically, there's a tiny hope that he won't get any ban at all. Well, that's being very optimistic, I think. I mean, that's being very lenient as well. He punched him in the chest. Yeah, well, they've Shoops, just been very, the way, very lenient by, by, by on By the Polkock. way, and people are being kind of soft on Sean O'Brien because he's Irish, but it was idiotic to do that so early on, to lose his composure like that in, in a game of that magnitude, Jerry. Well, we've seen other players do it when they're being held off the ball before. Didn't Paul O'Connell do it once and get a ban for But that? he wasn't even being held. It wasn't one of these ones where he's being pinned back and he's got no leeway at all. He's being... It looked, and it's kind of hard to see because the way the camera angle turns, you kind of miss the, the very end of the holding back. But it didn't look as though he ne- needed to land that punch to actually get himself free necessarily. And um, I suppose the ref didn't see it, so so maybe it's not as stupid as I'm making out. But it just seemed to me to be a really surprising loss of composure pretty early on. Yeah, maybe so. Um um, I think he's going to pay consequences for your right. I think he's going to be suspended for a World Cup quarterfinal, and that's a very heavy blow, you know, um, to a player to miss out in a World Cup quarterfinal. That's a that's a one week ban that's different from any other week in any four year period. So, yeah, you're probably right. About, it was it was a, an irate thing to do. It was it he shouldn't have done it. I'm sure he regrets doing it now, and he probably will get that one week ban, like you say. But I've seen worse go unpunished in the pitch. Um, and, That's um, my point. I'm not saying Sean O'Brien shouldn't get a ban. I'm saying they're lenient on certain cases and, and using your knee is arguably more dangerous than using a, an open fist. Absolutely. And that's why Tuolagi got a five-week ban, which most players were in uproar about. Um, they didn't really do, that's the way he runs and the player went in to tackle him low. It, 
it's becoming very politically correct this World Cup and all forms of foul play are being treated very harshly you know this clearing out a rock time um, above the chest that's being punished heavily I, I would imagine in the state we're in in the kind of climate we're in disciplinary wise in this World Cup he probably will get a one week ban and I don't think if that happens Ireland will logic an appeal or anything like that they'll just have to take it on the chin as it were uh, Jerry, just on the players who are going to come in there, you've you've name checked Reese Ruddock, and they're I suppose we're familiar with some of the players who might come into the squad. We were talking to Shane a little while ago, Shane Horgan, who said he's not worried at all about the players who get promoted from the bench into the team or even from the squad onto the match day bench. But he is concerned about those guys coming into the squad who have to try to get up to speed with everything, having missed out for ages at this stage. Those players have been together for so long now that it could be quite difficult for anyone coming in. Yeah, it will, be, it will be more difficult for sure. But this happens in every squad. It's happened to Wales, and they've paid a price, obviously, for it. Um, it's happened to South Africa. In some instances, it can make a team stronger. You could argue that losing Jean de Villiers, the Springboks captain, has helped the Springboks land a better midfield and forces a, a greater togetherness amongst them all. Um, I think that Reese Ruddock has shown his versatility before. Dan Toohey was in the camp all through preseason, all through the warm-up games. Um, the, question, the bigger question maybe is how they replace Jared Payne because they might have to go outside what was in the preseason camp, was in extended squad through, throughout. But, you know, Luke Marshall has played under Joe before. Um, he could be a dark horse in. I believe he's back playing well again. So Stuart McCloskey could be a bolter. They need a midfielder because the midfield is getting thin. They say Keith Earls is fine, but he looked in a little bit of pain when he came off. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you know, somebody like Luke Marshall or Stuart McCloskey would have a lot of catching up to do, but... And that is a problem, but there's no other way around it. Looking back at the positives again, Jerry, if you the, the timing of the injuries, uh, the players who did get injured, if you look at Earls missing the chance of a try there, it wasn't a definite try. Dulan was coming across, but it was yeah. a it was a big mistake at a key time. And yet Ireland come through this and win it comprehensively and just keep getting better and better as the game goes on, responding to every knockback brilliantly, uh, new leaders coming through, etc. We, we don't need to labour how many great things happen, but it was an amazing performance. It, without heaping too much praise on Joe Schmidt at this stage, it's almost as if he takes bad luck out of the equation, like bad things happen to us and yet we still persevere. It's all down to the detailed preparation, isn't it? And all the homework that all the players do all week long, all the time they're in camp. So that when a player comes in, he knows exactly what to do. And when Jamie Heaslip takes over the captaincy, he knows exactly what to do. And it was interesting listening to him talk about it afterwards. He was saying that the dressing room was very calm at halftime. They just lost the two most important players and the dressing room was very calm. And he spoke about how basically they just stayed job specific and they've become a machine under this coach. Um, I don't believe there's a better coach in the world out there. And this is, this proves to you right. He, t- he almost takes bad luck out of the equation. He looks like he might have a face like thunder when he sees Johnny Sexton or Paul O'Connell going off. But inside, he's just staying calm. He's trying to make sure he gets instructions on so the players know exactly what's expected of them. And they just seamlessly slot in. And it's very much, we've seen this over you know, the two Six Nations triumphs, you know, with the, the bench really contributed to the, the pushing on and end games, getting more scores. And it went so far and away to winning those two titles on, on fairly close margins and points difference. And this was perhaps the finest example of it, yes, the way that Madigan came in and knew exactly what was expected of him, the way Henderson came in and knew exactly what was expected of him. And it says a multitude for their performances that in actual fact, Johnny Sexton and Paul O'Connell were not actually missed that much. And that just says, that says wonders about Madigan in particular. Um, Rob Carney was revealing after, they're now calling him Gaza because of all the tears he showed when they came back on the pitch at the end. But it was a, ma- a sensational day for Ian Madigan. It's the day he really arrived as a test player. He, he must be lurking on one of the lo- under one of the longest shadows in the game. And even Ian Henderson at his height is work, operating under a fairly long shadow when you come on and replace Paul O'Connell. And they just filled the void magnificently. And it is down to Schmidt, it is down to details. They, as as Rob Connie says, they just become job specific. And you could, or, sorry, as Jamie Heaslip said. And you could see Heaslip in the huddle remind them all what was expected of them. And they're just a machine. We saw with Leinster and now we're seeing with Ireland. They just roll on. They roll with the punches and they roll on. And now they roll on to next week. Absolutely, Jerry. We're looking forward to it. Isn't thanks a million. No worries, cheers. Uh, just, uh, and I know we've been talking a lot about injuries here. I hope we have reflected the amazing achievement of what Ireland did uh, yesterday. I think we have. But also it's undeniable that this level of attrition is something that we've rarely seen in, in an Ireland game. And Jerry mentioned Keith Earls there, that they're saying he's fine, but Jerry's not 100% sure. 
there was I think it was was the second try. There was certainly a huge moment in the game yesterday where all the players jumped up and started screaming and shouting. All the substitutes. Keith Earls couldn't move. He tried to move one arm. His right arm could barely move. But his left arm, I think it was, was in that sort of cellophane stuff that they put around uh, players afterwards. And that's sometimes just to keep it from you know, it's very much precautionary. If you pour ice down it, that's basically so just to keep a of course um, uh, yeah the area. Uh, iced and all the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which would suggest that just that entire picture would suggest that yeah. he had a knock. We we'll call yeah. it a knock, right? He's Keen, probably Keen not going to train. Keen Healy limped off and no one seemed to notice. I was like, hang on, this is another injured guy who's just come back. It was, okay, it was a neck injury, but I know Keen Healy has a, a stocky man's walk. So maybe I was mistaking that for well, it's like a limp, the, the, the cri- like Crimean War. Me. Unless you know you've lost a limb, there's not even room in the hospital for we're you. Gonna, we're gonna big gonna deal. Need you to get back out there. Big deal, Keith. Yeah, yeah. We've got men with no hamstrings. Kenny, you worried about Sean O'Brien getting? Cited? Well, uh, I'd be worried if he wasn't cited. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Well, he just punched the guy in the gut. Like, I mean, <laughs> are they, you, you're not supposed cut, to do that, pretty right? Pretty clear cut to you. I mean, it's one of the most clear cut things I've ever seen. Mm. Well, Simon's making the point there that I heard that yeah. there are a lot, there are a lot more serious he, matters he, that go unpunished. He did. I think uh, if you were to ask a rugby player, would they rather be punched in the gut, you know, face on to somebody, or like sneaky elbows, sneaky shots in the back when you're not looking? There, there's a million more dangerous things can happen. I, I think he'll be cited and he certainly deserves some sort of ban, but I'm saying there's a tiny hope that he mightn't, given that Pocock got off. And I also think there's, on the danger spectrum, it's way down. Well, I don't share your hope, Simon, because that's not, that's, that's against the, the principles of the, of the rugby that I believe in. <laughs> I, what are those principles? Well, uh, uh, there is, it's a five, the principles are fivefold and Ken will now talk you through them. It's a it's a gentleman's game, you know. Played wood, by wood. Uh, no, it's no. a thug's game played by gentlemen. Ken. No, it's it's about. You, I I I think that you should respect players. The make it the like, game. On I think Ireland. Rule number two. I think Ireland are gonna try to should try to win this World Cup by playing fair, because you know if you if you're going around hitting people with cheap shots in the in the guts. Maybe it feels good at the time, but it's not it's not the way to win the World Cup. The, there is a cautionary tale as well, Ken. From the well, the entertainment slash magic world that you want to bring to the people's attention, also I'm, I I know what's which is that what the the for? punch that the 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 devastating blow that Sean O'Brien delivered yesterday. Well, all I was saying, like Simon Simon over there is is obviously you know I'd rather be punched in the gut than spat on or you know something like yeah. that. Um, but actually, that you know Harry Houdini, Owen, Harry Houdini died of a punch in the gut. <laughs> Uh, he used to do that thing where he he would uh, he would make the the wall the, his stomach muscles into a, a mighty an iron wall yeah. and challenge people to punch him. <laughs> Eventually, someone did, and he died roaring a few days later. <laughs> you know, and he was ready for that. Yeah, he was ready for that punch. You know, mm-hmm. so we yeah we just all I'm saying is all I'm saying is Let's, I, it's no, not I've something just... I'd like to see creeping into the game. And I, and I, I you know Sean O'Brien is an amazing player for Ireland. And I think you'd have noticed Sean was Ireland. very careful to avoid the solar plexus and he knew that was a danger area. That's, uh, well, let's get the reaction from France now from Richard Esco of L'Equipe who's actually following the team in Wales and in the UK. Richard, I mean, we're all delighted over here, obviously, but what are people saying in France and indeed in Cardiff? At the moment, France is, uh, is devastated. All the French supporters are, are very sad. You know that... Uh, Philippe Saint-André said to us that uh, this uh, game against Ireland in Cardiff was his main objective, and we failed. So he failed, and the players are, are very, uh, are, are very in a bad mood, you know, and a sad mood, very upset. And uh, there's something, you know, I haven't seen this since a long time, since 1991, the defeat against England in Parc des Princes. This is the biggest. This is the worst reaction you've seen since. This is the biggest low you've seen since then. Oh, yeah, de- definitely, you know, because that was a real target. Philippe Saint-André said, OK, I, I don't mind about the, the Six Nations. I don't mind about the tour, the international test, as long as we are ready for the World Cup. We really want to be a world champion. That's the only title that uh, doesn't belong to the French Palmarès. So uh, it's our him. It's my target, he said. And he, he, he constantly repeated that for uh, for three years and now. We arrived at the, at, at the rendezvous at the meeting point, and French was uh, was not there. 
and uh, Ireland play a fantastic game. So, you know, it's it's about the defeat of France, but also the fact that Ireland was much more prepared and much more wise and sharp than the French team. Yeah, and we were we were always confident, I think, in Ireland that we would be very well prepared, we would be smart. We have been ever since Joe Schmidt took over, but we were wary, especially the closer the game got, it seemed like the French players and the coaches were very confident in how they were speaking. We know how French teams play better when they have all this time together coming into a World Cup. So what's the explanation? Why do you think they failed? They failed because they were not able to handle the pressure and also we are lacking some leadership. But the fact is, you know, you, you and the Irish team lost uh, Sexton, lost O'Connell, which... Uh, who are the, the, the two leaders who are leader of the game, leader of the spirit. And then the team continue to, uh, to play a tremendous, uh, type of rugby. So it means that without leaders, uh, Ireland was very, uh, very organized and the game plan was first, you know. And on the French side, we saw that we have a game plan. We saw that we had leaders like the, the Dussautois, the Bastaro, Michalak able to, uh, to go forward and, and, and uh, open the way for the French team. And unfortunately, nothing was there. The thing is, nothing. We don't have enough, enough of the scrum, the line-out, the rooks. We were over, we were beaten in every part of the game. And at the end, the, 20, the last 20 minutes were that horrible. And I haven't seen a French team in a, in a World Cup uh, losing the, 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 losing the, the, the fire, losing the, uh, the will of doing something. Even if you, you lose the game, you put everything, you put your, your body on the line, and then there were nobody on the line. Do you think, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it seems, Richard, that there was so much obsession with Jonathan Sexton. This is the, of course, Sexton is the player that the French team is most familiar with. It was all about targeting Sexton and how Sexton didn't fit in at Racing Metro and uh, how the, what the French were going to do to him. That once Sexton went off, the team didn't, the, the French players didn't really know how to t- deal with the rest of the Irish team. Yeah, the fact is, first of all, um, really, I don't think that they were targeting. I know everybody knows that Jonathan Sexton is a good player, but you know, uh, when you play number ten, you know that you're going to be the target of the of the back row. That's part of the game. Wilkinson pass through this. Michalak also. It's part of the game. There's there's no there's no targeting. You you can't uh, afford you know to to target a player. That's not the way the French played. It, it had the opportunity of having uh, two hard tackles on him, but that's part of the game. The thing is, when Sexton went off, everybody thought, "Oh, okay, we got the orchestra chief out. So now perhaps the Irish orchestra won't play uh, um, uh, um, a better uh, a better partition." The fact is, uh, Joe Smith uh, put such an emphasis on the org- tactical organization that with or without Jonathan Sexton, Ireland play the same type of game. And this Madigan was brilliant, you know, the way he moved the ball, the way he runs, the way he attracted the defense. He was really a great number 10. And, you know, in a World Cup, when you have 31 players involved, you can't afford to put everything on one player's And Even if it's Jonathan Sexton, you know, uh, so with the quality of uh, the quality you have on number 10. And same thing with, with O'Connell. And I think that the great, um, the greatest answer from a team I ever saw in a World Cup, you lose your two main players and you still play your, your rugby and you still stick to the plan. And that's where the Irish team won that game. It sounds like it's going to take a lot to pick this team up for next Saturday against New Zealand with the shorter turnaround as well. New Zealand will feel nice and fresh coming into that one, Richard. But, I mean, in 1999, I don't think people were expecting it. Certainly in 2007, nobody was expecting France to beat New Zealand and they did it. Is there? Have you got any optimism today about next week? Yes, of course. You know, I know the French psyche for 31 years as a journalist, but uh, I'm a French also. And I know that the French are, are the best team in the world when they got their, their back on the wall. And at the moment, they feel really ashamed. They they think that they they have betrayed the nation and they betray, betrayed themselves. So that's the best uh, that's the best way to refuel the, the spirit. And I'm pretty sure that at this moment, at this uh, the moment we talk, the All Blacks are not confident. They know that they're going to play French team in quarterfinal. Quarterfinal is a very special game. You know, 
there's nothing you're going to win. You're going to lose everything, but you're going to win nothing. Just the fact that you play the semi. So it, it's not it's not um, the way that the All Blacks uh, enjoy playing France, you know. Uh, in the final, that's something completely different. But in quite a final, uh, how to to burn your uh, your spirit is something different. And I'm pretty sure that at the moment, the All Blacks, I'm not so happy playing France in, in quarterfinal, I tell you. Uh, Richard, this might not be uh, what French fans would want to hear, but is there an argument that for the long-term future of French rugby, it might be better to lose this match to New Zealand? If France were to win and have one of their heroic one-off performances, but then lose in the semi-final, for example, uh, would that be maybe papering over the cracks? Uh, and are there more fundamental problems at the moment in French rugby that need to be addressed, given all the foreign players who've come in, all the all the money that's in the clubs there now, the French national team is not performing? Yeah, the national team on the club are, are choosing very different. You know, the, the top league got its own life and the French union uh, is on its own. So there's no way, even if you're a champion or losing or whatever, it's, you never f- build something out of a, a lust. Uh, I think that uh, being world champion will be something much better because the fact is everybody knows that there's two really big uh, institutions in France and these institutions are, are really uh, moving in a different ways. And I don't see a loss or a win changing this. That's something to do with political impact. And uh, this World Cup won't change a thing even if it loses, even if it wins. Okay. That's something different that uh, needs to happen, and that's about politics. Okay. Richard, we're looking forward to the quarterfinals. There might be might be one more sting in the tail. Thanks so much for talking to us. Yes, bye-bye. Yeah, there you go. I said at the start of the programme that French journalists, we've noticed this before when talking to a couple of the soccer guys after um, Ireland games and Henri's handball and these sort of things, they tend to, they're, they're not overly... Uh, they don't go in for defending their own for the sake of it. When France have done badly or done wrong, they usually are not afraid to admit it. And uh, Richard there couldn't believe how badly they lost their fire, is what he said in the last uh, few minutes. Their worst defeat in 25 years, the lowest that he's ever felt or thinks that the nation has felt. Uh, he's, they betrayed their nation. Well, he didn't say they betrayed their nation, but the players are ashamed, Ken. They feel like they betrayed their nation, which all spells uh, about a 15-point victory against the All Blacks next weekend. It is a recurring theme, isn't it, the French, that whole idea of shaming the nation. Is it? Well, it, it seems to be continual, like uh, with their football team and now apparently their rugby team. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah. No, oh, not just Henri, but also the strike that they nearly went on in 2010, soccer team, uh, yeah. in South Africa. Oh, yeah. It's, There's it's, a bit of shaming of the nation going on there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I did think it was... I, I was amazed watching that game how little they had. They, there was nothing. Like it was just, no. just crashing into, just crashing into guys. That was the whole, the whole idea. Yeah, you were waiting for something to happen. You were waiting for the almost inevitable comeback. But again, Arden just kept the ball out of their hands for a large part. Made them tackle. Made France. Tackle France them. played okay for about for the first half. 50, 60 minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe for the first half. I didn't think. Thought from pretty early in the second half, they looked to me to be struggling I a missed, little bit. I missed a bit of the first half. Um, that's okay. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of their lowest day, I was surprised to hear him say that because they lost to Tonga in the last World Cup. They had a mutiny against their coach. Uh, they've lost to Italy in numerous Six Nations. Yeah, but do you now. think it's because this time, as Richard explained it there, they were so confident This was things. the game. This was the game they've for They've been talking about years. this for years. Okay, sure, they would have expected to beat Tonga in the last World Cup, but there seems to be murmurings all the way along that time, whereas this is, they've almost been boasting about how together they are at this time. And the journalists presumably bought into that to a certain extent. We were talking about it last week, how all the players were being quite sarcastic based on the French coverage. Oh, I didn't realise Ireland was such an amazing, beautiful, beefy team in green there. Yeah, we'll do our best to match up and maybe come up with a plan to try to beat them. It turned out they didn't really have any sort of plan or any sort of functional plan. plan. was just be even Literally bigger than beat we beat them. Yeah. <laughs> just beat them like, and see, how, see where that gets us. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is going to be out later. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I wanted to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? (laughs) Okay, we've had so much positivity, Ken. I'm ready to be taken down in the football podcast. We are going to talk a little bit about how Ireland are in the playoffs for Euro 2016. 
Oh, so we're not being brought down at all. Uh, a lot done, more to do, <laughs> is the situation facing Martin O'Neill's man. We're still alive, was the message coming from the camp <laughs> last night. Literally, that, that kind of thing. There's still something in it in this for us, said Robbie Kane. Of course, there's still something in it for us. We haven't actually been eliminated yet from the qualifiers. We do have to wait and see who we're going to play. Some of the teams there will definitely beat us. If we get drawn against Croatia, it's good night. But uh, but we might not get drawn against Croatia, so there's still hope. Okay, we'll get to that in today's football podcast. Murph, before we wrap things up, so much has been happening between the footballers and the rugby team that I don't know how closely everyone's been following the World Boxing Championships, but the just the usual brilliance there by the, the Irish usual team. usual <laughs> outstanding performance from the Irish team. Michael Collins through to the uh, World Championship final at Bantamweight. Uh, and he's going all out to win this because he's already qualified for Rio. Uh, qualification for the final is what you have to do to get through to Rio, but he's already qualified uh, through uh, even before the tournament had begun. So he's in it to win it. Michael Conlon with pressure off is yeah. a good... Well, with pressure on, he's a great boxer, but with the, a shot to nothing, sounds good to me. Yeah, so I think he can he can uh, swing from the hip on Wednesday when, he's, uh, when he gets through the final. Michael O'Reilly... Uh, lost out in the midweight semi-final yesterday evening as well, but he'd gotten to a semi-final, uh, which was a brilliant performance as well. And he still has, he could still face a box off with the other last four loser to book his place at the Rio Olympics next year. So right, okay. There is, it's. Uh, would you believe amateur boxing rules? Not all that <laughs> not clear. Not that clear cut. No. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it may do, that that may well be the case. But Joe Ward, uh, he fights tonight, Monday night. Uh, he's uh, that's a semi-final that's a semi-final at the light heavyweight division against Razalov of Uzbekistan <sighs> I always like to at least try the name because the Irish uh, boxing uh, analysis does usually boil down to the Uzbek the Belarusian the Belarusian he's a strong lad he's a good lad uh, we've trained with him yeah. if you've trained with him you know you should probably know his name then <laughs> you know it's just I'm just, just putting it out there. All right, good luck to the boys who are still involved in that one. Thanks very much for listening to this show. Hope you've enjoyed it after uh, absolutely momentous performance by Ireland in the Rugby World Cup yesterday. We'll obviously be building up to it later on in the week, the Ireland-Argentina quarterfinal, which will be next Sunday in Cardiff. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks a million. And please do now listen to the football podcast. Take care. Charlie will try to come forward with this one again. Murray switches direction. Here comes Carney. Takes it upon himself. He's touched it down. Rob Carney called for the ball. He's buried a Frenchman. Ball and all. Carney with a try for Ireland. We wanted the leaders to step forward. Rob Carney has stepped up to the plate. The French fella was battered out of the way. Carney has got the try. Ten minutes gone, second half. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home.